And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. The calm before the storm. Welcome to this week's Why Always Us. This is your Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. I'm David Mooney. With me is Sam Lee. Hi, Sam. Hello. Uh, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all of our articles on City as well as everything on the site just by going to theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod. If you sign up right now, you'll get it at a special price of just £1 a month for six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod. Um, international break, Sam, gives us a chance to kind of uh, kick our feet back and relax and chat into something else, something that's not as pressing as the title race right now. Um and I thought I, I thought we'd start by going back a few weeks. Uh, this is to Guardiola's press conference ahead of the game with Peterborough. Um, I know a lot of people were immediately thinking, why on earth are we doing this? Uh, but he was asked about something uh, he'd said around about that time, where he said he wasn't as dramatic as he used to be, uh, and if his approach to the players had changed in more recent years. Um, this is this is how he responded to it. I know them much better. Uh, I know. I understood maybe because I'm getting old that, that they want to do it well. So it's typical when when the, uh, we lose games and this kind of competition go to there because I, I, I listen every week that all former players and now they are pundits talking about they lose against because they don't run, they don't have passion, they don't have courage. When they were there and they were losing games, it was not the reason why. They want to do it well, they want to win games, they want to, in front of 80,000 people, make a good performance. Sometimes it didn't happen. And it was not because they didn't want to do it. And now it's the same case. So always have to... There is a moment after the game that there are... I'm not clear enough. And me personally, as a manager, I'm not cool enough, so clear enough to analyze what happened in the game right immediately to the players. There's too many emotions. You know, when I analyze the game, when I analyze, okay, the space is right, left, you take here. But in the video, we cannot analyze the emotions. And why is the emotions... We attack incredible well the second half, we score a goal, and after that, we sit back. And we forget to play. And we consider penalty. And, uh, and we didn't, why? It's emotions. It's not about tactics. They're the same. I'm not saying that, ah, score a goal, guys, now everyone pack <laughs> to defend 11. No. So that's why maybe I learned sometimes, I, I talked after the game, but sometimes when I am eager, I take time, go home. And tomorrow after tomorrow, we'll talk with the team exactly what you feel was the real game. You know, because sometimes you are aggressive, you are unfair to the players because they want to do it well. I have this principle for a long time ago that they don't know when it well. They want to run, they want to fight, they want to win. They... And when something happens, sometimes it's because it was not clear enough or they had a bad day. You know, it's happened. It's happened. Try to avoid it. They have the responsibility to avoid it. That is the most important part of the, I would say, the week or the day is these 90 minutes but it's happened so and you've said previously that you've had to apologize to the players for things that you've said in, in the dressing room i think that i think we talked about that last last season is that something you you now don't have to do because no you... i can do it i can do it again i'm, I'm not so going to react but in, in, even in barcelona where my early ages as a, as a manager i said something at the after regret you cannot imagine a lot. Can I ask what that was? No, defeat or situation, and I'm there and do it. I have to go home, sleep, analyze. I said I was wrong. So that's why it's difficult. Maybe managers can do it. I'm right after the game to see exactly what happened when, the, you know, it's just that's why it's difficult to go to the press conference after the game to analyze what the game because. Yeah, you have a feeling, but the feeling sometimes is track for the environment, for 1-0, 1-1. When we win 5-0, the analysis is easy. <laughs> but, you know, uh, sometimes you have to take a little bit of time to be more accuracy to the players, to be more fair, to be exactly. All analysts knows to what you have done is to help, 
more than allergy to this for the next one. Not for the happiness, it's done, it's late. You know? Uh, in the half time, I have to be cold, I have to be clear what happened in the first half to improve the second. If I analyze what happened in the first half, not the half time, at the end of the game, it's too late. I have to do it right now. So after the game, the game is over. I'm not going to change my speech, I'm going to change my. I have to analyze to improve for the next one. So the message has to be for the next one, not to point you are the main response. I know in this job everyone look for you are the reason why we lose or you are the reason why to win. We're all the time we're looking for for that. Even the manager for the players. It's a big mistake. Because one player played bad, maybe for the other ones, not for himself. And that's why sometimes when you are calm, asleep, wake up, good breakfast, and after try to think, talk with your staff, what happened, helps a lot to analyze for the future. And just a really quick one, sorry. How long does it, how long does it take you to calm down after after a match? Four hours. How long does it take you to calm down? No, it depends. Six hours or no, no, it depends on the day. No, there is not a, a, a clock watch. Say it depends. Yeah, this is immediately, and that time I need more time. So, depends. I was just going to ask because your answers to Jack were so good. What are the players like in that situation? How how do the players react after defeats or victories? You know, are they vocal? Do they? Shout to each other, they encourage each other, what are they like? I don't know, I'm not in the locker room. So I would love instead to talk, to take the phone right immediately, talk five, ten minutes about the game, what happened about the game, oh, this action, oh, the goal I missed, oh, the, how nice we celebrate this situation. But I'm not there, so they can do it. Some ones maybe they affect more, the other one they forget immediately. Everyone is everyone, it's not, it's not a problem that after the game everything is so. Uh, so intense, so you know, I don't know the right expression in England. Um, it's you know, skin is sensitive, everything. So that's why you have to, in the good morning, celebrate it because when you, you know everyone, when it's difficult, the game like it was Everton last time, and you can win in the locker room, the celebration is more intense, it's higher. So when you win, but more margin after 70 minutes, we go 4 5 0, situation is completely different. So a big chunk of uh, Guardiola's press conference there, Sam, but it's, um, I think it was really eye-opening. Yeah, it's really yeah, eye-opening, isn't it? Yeah. So what, yeah. I mean, you're often in them. Um, like, how often does that happen? What, when he speaks like that? Um, yeah. Not, it's not super rare, but it's not every week. Um, I didn't go to the one in person the other week after the Atletico Madrid draw, but I thought he was, he was quite good then. Um, although when I said that, to somebody recently who was also there he was like which bits and I was like oh okay you obviously didn't think the same <laughs> um, but no like so when I asked him about the players you know like I said to him I thought his, his answer was so good you know would continue in the same vein but obviously by getting him to speak about the players rather than himself it's a that's a massive change of direction really isn't it um, and you know there's there's going to be some things that he's just never going to say about yeah. himself but certainly about the players um but yeah that no, it happens it happens fairly often but the, the, i mean look i don't know if this is a good thing to admit or not but when i was a, a goal obviously i had less well, i suppose i'd say fewer writing duties fewer articles um so i i could sit there on a friday and get the video from the press conference and to be fair it was when there was, it was at a time more when there was more explaining that needed to be done you know in the early days when it was or early in the season when it was this is how things are going to be done under pep or this yeah. is how things are going to be done this season i could clip up the bits of the video and if i needed to to talk and say look this is the context i'd kind of film a bit myself and say right this is this is what he means here now this is what he's had to say by the end it was just kind of the end of me doing them, it was kind of just saying, well, these are just the interesting things that Pep's had to say. Yeah. But you, since you know what he's like jobs, by this stage, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Since changing jobs, I mean, there's, there's been less of a need to do it, but also just my role's changed. So I don't I don't really have the, the time um, to do that now. So, and it's a shame because I, I think you do see less because obviously there's probably more coverage of his quotes now on social media in terms of the aggregators. But then it's like, the well, like the, the kind the of thing- the highlights get it's like when like we do an article you know the, the the highlights the main like kind of transfery stuff or even if we do something on like i was just writing a bit about tevez there but like when i think danny taylor did an article about tevez when he moved to, to city ages ago like you could you could pull out little bits that like 
Gary Cook said or whatever for an aggregator and you'll maybe just read them and go okay yeah well that's the best bit but like you do miss all the kind of longer interesting bits that aren't necessarily explosive yeah um but they're but they're really interesting so you don't you don't see these pep things often yeah I was I was gonna say that that chunk wouldn't get aggregated yeah no exactly where where would you start I mean I mean the good thing about because it was Jack asking the first lot of questions you know it was on a like I say it was the Peterborough game what are you gonna say um to be fair, Peter was before United, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so I said, look, we've got more chance of asking him stuff today and him being open and, and kind of not so much honest, but forthcoming. Because um, you can't be completely honest in that job, can you? Like, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, I was like, you got more chance of him being like that today than you have before the United game. Because normally before the United game, he's kind of on edge, doesn't want to say, doesn't want to say anything that's kind of getting headlines. And also, like the, the Sunday journalists will kind of have a, a go asking the questions in the embargo, and and that's all kind of more kind of like big picture things, like can you win the treble, or can like can you do what United have done, can you do what Alex Ferguson did? You know, it's it's generally stuff like that. Um, the good thing about Jack on days like this is, you know, he was just like because he's looking for something different, but I'm sure you know the view that people have of journalists when there's nothing to be talked about. Because let's be honest. Pep, what do you think of Peter Brett? You're not getting much. Yeah. It's it's not going. Yeah, but I mean, you're not going to get much. But people will. Oh, I don't know. but nobody's. I swear, nobody's reading that. Nobody's reading that. Like, 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 it wouldn't be published, which isn't necessarily a good thing. But nobody's reading it anyway. So it works both ways. So what what do you do? You, you kind of get creative with it. But instead of saying, "Are you going to sign Erling Haaland?" or I don't know, what, what, "Are you going to sign a new contract?" which you can do, which I, I think is also fine. You know, Jack and myself, to a lesser extent, will try and get him to talk about interesting things that give an insight into kind of what's going on for at the team, how he works, how the team's working, get a feel. You know, sometimes what I like to do is I'll try and get a feel for what's happening. And I won't necessarily use the art, use what he said right now, but it'll be something I can come back to in a few weeks. Like after the, the Spurs game, this was after that Spurs game. It's like, okay, how, how does he kind of feel the team are going now? You kind of take a bit of a, a vibe check for want of a better word or phrase. And then in a few weeks, if it's going better or worse, you can kind of compare it. So yeah, these these press conferences are good for that. And Jack on this day was, you know, just thinking, you know, have you, you know, it's a good opportunity to have you changed? How has it changed? And it'll be useful, won't it? Yeah. You know, at some point when Pep goes and we've got to write articles about how it all went, you know, you, you can you can lean back on days like those and say, okay, well, this you know, this is what he said in 2016, this is what he said in 2019, this is what he said in 2022, and go from there. And it does open up loads of different interesting things. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in um, what he's saying about being able to analyze the game as soon, like like how long it takes him to be able to take a step back and and kind of look at it um, with a more objective viewpoint. Um, yeah. Uh, does that, like, in, in your opinion, then does that mean that his post-match press conferences are maybe not as useful as they could be? Like, like almost yeah. as if he, he needs like twenty-four hours or something. And if he if he was able to do it the next day, it might you might get a better insight into what he thought of the game. Interesting, because on the face of it, yes, in the sense that you know he'd have a better understanding of the game, he'd have um, developed his thoughts a bit better. I mean, sometimes, but yeah, I think my articles. I, I wish I'd waited. Until the next day, do you know what I mean? Is like I've got a bit of a better grasp of it now. So obviously, f- for him, it, you could certainly say that. But on the flip side, you've got that thing where would he necessarily be any more willing to say what he's already said? Yeah, you know, he might he might have a, a clearer perspective and, and a better idea, but he's probably no more likely to to tell the journalist how he's really feeling. So there's a bit of a yes and no about that. But yeah, that's absolutely the case. And it's not just him, you know. I'm sure. You know, I'm sure most managers aren't able to to analyse what they've just seen and maybe not being in any mood um, to talk about it. I know that the yeah. thing about Jurgen Klopp is he's a moody fucker, isn't he? When 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 he's not lost, but I've never look. I, I say it now, but I'd never hold that up as a criticism of him because I'd be exactly the same. You know, if things hadn't gone my way, I'd be really annoyed as well. Um, okay, I mean, some some of the kind of excuses are a bit memeable, aren't they? But you know. <laughs> It th- these these are the kind of things that happen. You you you, may, you know you shove somebody in front of a camera thirty seconds after something's annoyed them happens, or even five minutes, and you know and it's lo and not, behold, they're it's annoyed. Not yeah. <laughs> but also, but also you've got like you'll have five or six different interviews, maybe more, and they'll all be the same question. So you're already getting annoyed, and also you know how many times have 
you know, somebody's asked Pep something. Like, like after the Southampton game, when the kind of the the vibe of the questions was that was a bit bad, wasn't it? And Pep's like, "What are you talking about? That was good." And like you on a completely different wavelength. And obviously, Klopp seems to do that a lot, where you know people ask him questions because you know we're we're think, coming from the basic point of view of well, you didn't win the game, so you know therefore it must be bad, or therefore you know the questions have got a bit of a negative slant. But if they're you know if their point of view is completely different, and he and you're a bit impatient with it, and you've been asked it five or six times by different people, you must really be thinking. Who, who am I speaking to here? Yeah, who, so, what are these watching? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, fair, fair play, really. I think one of the things that Pep said about Bielsa, obviously, Pep absolutely loves Bielsa, but he always said Bielsa's capable after the game of telling you exactly where how it went. And that, that's one of the things that Pep, you know, he he said himself there, and he's always said like he's not he's not capable of looking at it coldly and looking at it and having all the answers straight away. Um, whereas, like he says, Bielsa has, but I'd, I'd imagine very, very few coaches would ever have that. Yeah, was but, it but even apart from that, like the the frustration of of being asked the same questions. God, even even if you win five nil, being asked the same inane questions by five or six different, well, five or six different times, and including like by by myself, it would be bloody annoying, wouldn't it? Was it Pep or was it Klopp that um, had said something like uh, they shouldn't be sticking a camera in my face after the game, or they shouldn't be? We we shouldn't we should have time to be able to um, kind of digest it and then come and do the press conference. But we have to do. It, it sounds away. more like something Klopp would say, but it's definitely something Guardiola would believe. Yeah, if you know what I mean. It could yeah. been, it could have been either of them, or it could have been someone else. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just on something he said in there as well, is it surprising to you that he uh, maybe doesn't go into the changing room after the games? No, only because he's either said it before or others have said it. But that gen- that kind of, I don't know if it's the kind of football manager way that we've kind of been brought up. You know, the the, the basic assumption, I think, for a lot of people is, you know, the manager will be in there talking to him. But it's not, you know, that's not always the case. Yeah, because um, I, I, the, the only thing that made me think about it was, uh, I mean, we talked on last week's show about uh, the interview that De Bruyne gave after the Southampton game and then the Guardiola press conference and how yeah. they pro- how they probably not spoken to each other, but they, they both gave similar answers. And it just made me think that you're, like, your question in that, that, that uh, clip then, um, it made me think like, well, surely the players can just go in and analyse it themselves. It's not, we're not talking about Fabian Delph sitting down and saying, you know, it's the basics of football. We've got to get the passing right. We're, we're, we're yeah. talking about players that are, that have been kind of moulded in Guardiola's system now for what, nearly six years. So they, 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 they are able to sit down and go, well, no, we need to do this. We need to do this. You need to move here and, and that sort of thing. And he, he kind of just lets them get on with it. Yeah. Again, that kind of like, it sounds interesting when you put it like that, but it's just kind of, it's just normal, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, any team, any group of humans, whether it's men, women, or mixed, you know, in any kind of team environment, you kind of, you know, sometimes you have arguments with each other. So, you know, so, you know, sometimes, most of the time, for City, it's great. And like, I can't, what season it was now? Was it 17, 18? Um, and they were just blaring music all the time. Like, I remember they went to Swansea after that bust up at Old Trafford. And we could hear the music. We were like, <laughs> like I don't know. I don't. I. I could. I could see that being taken as obnoxious. Actually, you know what I mean. Like you can imagine them thinking, "Who are these lads? Twenty points clear at the top of the league, kind of taking the piss." But like, it, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? Like those those reactions are going to be completely normal. I mean, I think generally they're they're quite quiet. But having said that, can you give a an answer about quite quiet about um when they when they drop points? You know, normally they're just kind of 
disappointed and kind of if you looked at do you see their faces on the TV after the the Palace game? Yeah. Like, can you can you can you imagine them saying much in the change room after that? They no, genuinely that, looked like it that was, was the last a, game of the season and they'd lost it. Yeah, that that was a we all get in the changing rooms, we sit under our kind of clothes and we just think for a few minutes. In, like you you know, all hands on we knees. Shower, and we just, get on yeah. the bus, put the AirPods in and go home. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. And so no, I'm I'm not I'm not surprised really. But like there's that example, isn't there, of God, how many times have we talked about these Tottenham Champions League games recently? I feel like we've got shares in it. But <laughs> Guardiola, he didn't speak to the players at all, did he, between those and the game knocked out by Spurs and then playing them in the Champions League, just didn't speak to them. So when you know when Jack was like, How long does it take you to get over a, def- a defeat or a bad result? Is it like four hours, six hours? Fuck me, sometimes it's days. Yeah. I'd imagine if it's a Champions League exit, you know, like that Leon one, probably weeks. Yeah. Yeah, especially when it was the end of the season, the last game of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd just go away I mean, and stew I'd, on so it. So, so I did a Premier League. Thing. I did something for Premier League TV on Monday, uh, Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Um, and the last question was something. You know, like oh, if they win the Champions League or don't win the Champions League this year, how does that affect like Guardiola's legacy? And I was kind of, I kind of said like, look, I think people have made their mind upon that. You know, you either think he's a fraud or you think he's a genius and nothing's really going to change. If, if you're really committed to thinking he's a fraud and he wins the Champions League with City, you'll just say, because he's got the most money. If yeah. you think he's a genius like I do, I'll, you, know, you put it down to bad luck or whatever. There's, you know, there's not much in between. But what I, wish, what I really wish I'd said, and it made me think of that, speaking about that Leon game and the Chelsea game, let's say they do get to the final. I think if the players do what they're supposed to and what he said right at the start of that clip you played, you know, as he's older now, he realizes. You know, you know they, they all want to do a good job. You know, they're not they're not fucking up on purpose. So, and you know, he mentioned about how he was at Barca. He said some horrible thing, and the next day he really regretted it. You know, you can imagine them. He was like, "Well, why didn't you do this? Like, you're fucking useless or whatever." And it's like, okay, maybe they didn't. Like now, he's just like, oh, maybe they didn't do it. You know, maybe they didn't do that, and maybe it cost us. But you know, it's it's normal. Yeah, and I think he's he kind do? of appreciated that with age. So it's like in this hypothetical example of if they got to the Champions League final this year but didn't win it, I think if he was genuinely happy with himself in terms of how the team played, I think he'd not take it or leave it, but I think he'd be happy enough. You know, yeah. he wouldn't be beating himself up all summer. And like, I mean, look, he'd be happy enough if they won, but you'd imagine if they did win and they, let's say they, they play Liverpool in the final and that, that, that game in 2019, at the Etihad, yeah, the, the City beat Liverpool two one. Like that could have gone either way, couldn't it? That game, yeah, that it was... wasn't like I wouldn't say City were lucky, definitely not. But I, I seem to remember Liverpool could have won that game. It was it, it, or, I, it was a game that I would put in that kind of uh, fun zone of uh, if you if you if it was a draw, everyone goes, well, that's probably a fair result. If City win it, yeah. everyone goes, that's probably a fair result. And if Liverpool win it, they go, well, that's probably a fair result. It's yeah. like in so that real like, sweet spot of, of probably like like just two degrees in the middle of the uh, of the spectrum. Yeah. So if that were to happen, or it's some kind of you know like when City because City don't have many games where they're lucky or they don't and they win and they don't deserve to. They don't have many of those at all, do they? But I, I'd think probably about, say I think Arsenal, about Arsenal. On, yeah, Arsenal. <laughs> on New Year's Day was 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 as close as you're going to get to that. So let's say they do that, or it's like that Liverpool game in 2019 in the final. Would say I'm really happy to win, but I don't think we played brilliantly. I'm sure we would, and people, you know, the headlines would be, oh, you know, perfectionist Pep, blah blah blah. Like you know, like when they beat Sporting five 0 and he said he wasn't happy, and everyone was, like, oh, he's not even happy with that. So like, yeah, well, yeah. Did you see him play? They weren't actually that good. So he would say that. Whereas if they were to lose, and not just play all right in the sense of they played really well at Anfield this year but didn't win. But maybe, you know, when sometimes... Like Southampton game, where, okay, I, I thought they played well, but a lot of people thought when he said that interview after the game saying, we did play well, a lot of people just thought he was being sarcastic. And like, oh, or at least I'm protecting them in the media. Yeah. But I will... You know, I'll, but t- I'll, I'll tell I'll them the truth behind the, the scenes. Yeah, yeah. But, like he, but like, even when he, he thinks they played well when a lot of people don't, if they lose, you know, all the questions would be, you know, what, why did he play Phil Foden at left back, etc. But he'd be like, look, we actually played well. And I, I think it, I think he'd be pretty happy with himself. So to tie that back to his approach, not so much happy with himself. But you know what I mean? He'd be, he'd be content. You know, he'd go, look, okay, well, maybe we made this mistake, or maybe this didn't happen. But it's a, know, it's a bit of a say la vie sort of attitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny because he's, I think he's always kind of had that. Um. I remember when I did that article 
of his old columns that he did for El País, there was some great phrase. There was in Spanish, it's not perfect. I can't remember it in terms of the translation. I can't remember it exactly. But it was like how beautiful football is. Like it's so capable of, of just fucking us, basically. You know, just when you know, when you, just when you think it's going your way. Like Italy, the other night, yeah. getting knocked out. I remember, I, I was watching the last half an hour. That. I was messaging my mate. I was like, it's worth putting the Italy game on. Because, I mean, they're obviously going to score in the next like half an hour. I was and if they don't, it'd be quite funny. But like they surely will. But that's obviously how they felt. Like they dominated that game. They didn't play particularly well. But then they conceded in the last minute to a minnow and and you're out. And he's always kind of had that um kind of viewpoint on football, even when he was like when he was playing. But I think it's you know, just everything that's happened over the last twenty odd years for and it's been mostly good. He's just come to kind of see it for what it is. And he I, I think he does see it in a way that a lot of us on the outside don't. Yeah. And I think that's the case for you know, football managers and football people in general. Yeah. Like we we've just got completely contrasting views on on how easy or difficult things are. Yeah. There is one thing that I can relate to that he said. Um uh, he, right at the end of that clip he said um he doesn't know the English, but uh the phrase that he, he used was the skin is sensitive to everything. And like I I, I don't know I don't know what that translates from. But I, I I know it. I feel it after games. My Spanish is pretty good, but I can't. I can't. Um, I don't know. I, I can't tell you exactly what that is. But it, exactly, it works either way, doesn't it? You know. You know what it is. Like, it, and look. To be honest, it's probably an English phrase that people are kind of shouting at their cars or phones or AirPods or whatever at the minute. <laughs> you know, it's just. I, I don't know it, what it is. Yeah. It's, it's just yeah. Of course, but of course, like that's why. God, whether it's, you know, you should count to 10 or take a deep breath or sleep on it or something, that's why you're supposed to do these things, to kind of remove yourself from the emotion of the of the, of the kind of the moment. But, I mean, there's, you know, there's some results in football that don't really feel any better the next day. Yeah. And especially, you know, if it's, whether it's a final thing, like a Champions League in elimination or or it's a, a bad result that kind of gives you a bit of a setback. I remember a couple of years ago, Tottenham again, Funnily enough, that one where the Jesus scored at the end because of Laporte's handball, he was in a bad mood about that for ages. Yeah, 2019. Um, I, was that that was? I, I've got a funny feeling at that point in the season. It was only the second game of the season, but I got a funny feeling. Yeah. Did he did he not say something later in the season that suggested I knew things weren't quite going right at that stage? Because they because that was the I, that, I that, that, that was I the season remember. where they were so far off Liverpool by Christmas. Yeah, um, I. I, I don't remember if he did. I mean, and maybe it's one of those things, you know, as we do as humans and kind of, oh, I had a bad feeling about that. Yeah, and then retroactively. Went to shit. So yeah. you kind of put it all together, even, you know, because it, if I say it could have quite easily gone differently, but I don't know. Maybe it may, maybe he's right. You know, maybe he's he's been around football long enough to know that he's, you know, you start to get the bad feeling, you know, yeah. at that point. Um, you start thinking, okay, what's wrong here? But I, I don't necessarily buy into that second game of the season anything can change and and again talking about how he knows football from his playing days and how that's kind of changed over the years it, you know he'll, he'll know so it's like recently he's been giving press conferences after um, so he would give the press conference before the, the Southampton game which obviously came after dropping points at Palace and obviously the and this is where I'm trying to work out in terms of the difference between what we believe and what footballers and managers believe and the difference in kind of tone and stuff whether this is a legit example or he's just kind of being more positive about it for whatever reason. But obviously the kind of the feeling after Palace among the fan base, you'd have to say was, was more negative than positive. It's pretty low. In terms of, you know, drop, dropping points and Liverpool getting loads of points and momentum and stuff. But Guardiola's like, look, I'd, I'd love to be 10 points clear, but you know, it's not possible. You know, we're, we're top of the league, you know, we're still top of the league. And, and he was talking as if, you know, there wasn't, wasn't any problems and I'm I wouldn't be surprised if behind the scenes he was probably a bit more worried but it's it's one of those things isn't it where you just think you go into something whether you're asking the questions or just listening in these press conferences and you got a certain idea in your head and then you listen to him and you just think yeah it's it's just just complete like completely backwards or like significantly different yeah 
Yeah. Um, I'm interested as well on the uh, the thing you said about uh, the analysis for, for half-time and having to be cold in half-time because uh, he's got to get it right for the second half, whereas after the game he can spend the time to, to kind of calm down. Um, is that where people like Juan Malio come in and, and uh, Rodolfo Burrell? Just because I remember, I remember talking... I remember talking to you about uh, the role that Arteta had before he left, about um, how Arteta was basically bringing him ideas and, and challenging him. And I'm just wondering yeah. if, if if it's his staff basically that get him to think cold at, at half time, because if he's if he's still in the the kind of the fraughtness of the first half, and things haven't quite, quite gone right, and he's got to make a decision and move things around here and there. We always talk about how. Uh, you know, he never seems to do his subs until late on in the game, or he doesn't seem to uh, kind of proactively make decisions kind of early in games. It's always always seems to be kind of like 60, 70 minutes or so before he makes any changes. I- I'm just wondering if if that's to allow himself the breathing space of of basically anal- analysing what's gone wrong and where things aren't quite right and not wanting to upset it too much in case what he does makes it go worse. And I, I just wonder if that's where his backroom staff come in to kind of prod him in, in different directions and to challenge his ideas. Yeah, in terms of the subs, I mean, I think we've we've talked about that a lot, haven't we? You know, it's generally he thinks the game's going fine. So, even and look, as we've just said at various points over the last few minutes, even if we don't think it is, you know, he'll be like, okay, he'll have his reasons. Um, but in terms of the other stuff, yeah, it's it's, it's massive. So, I've I've said this before, but one of the reasons he wanted to get Juan Malio in was because, yeah, in Arteta and in Dominic Torrent before that, you know, he had somebody who could you know get a sense of the game the same way he does and you know, either whether he's got questions or whether they're looking at the same game and they're noticing things that he doesn't or they come up to him and say what about this what about this and they offer solutions and stuff so torrent and arteta were very good at that and then when arteta left obviously torrent had already gone um he didn't have that so much in rodolfo Burrell, who's got other skills but just you know not not that so you needed to get somebody in to kind of give those solutions um and yeah, Juan Malio is, you know, fantastic at that in terms of, you know, that Marcelo Bielsa way of analysing a game straight afterwards. You know, and getting the sense know, people, of it, yeah. Well, less now maybe in England because I think people appreciate him a bit more because of what he did at Leeds. But there's there's always a, an air around Bielsa, isn't there, of, well, he's never won anything and, you know, his team's, they're crazy or whatever. And obviously that times that by 10 for Juan Malio. Um, but he's clearly a football genius as well you know he clearly knows what he's talking about and he's been a great addition to pep staff in that sense but there's also one with Juan Marleo in terms of he came in obviously when City weren't doing so well and then the start of last season of course was his first season first full season um, and it didn't start so well either and in terms of and his emotions and stuff you know I think there were times when he was like he he would have still have been stuff like oh you know this fucking guy how many times do I have to tell him or but Leo or whether it's about individuals or about the team he could be like look Pep this is what this is what they're good at this and he rem- and he kind of reminds them so you know I was talking th- then about Pep's positivity yeah when we're when we're on the outside going are oh, the gaps this now and Liverpool are doing this and City I'm not sure about this and Pep's like look we're still top I kind of feel like Juan Malia provides a lot of that and I'm not saying specifically this example. But it, I suppose now talking about it, it's possible that, you know, Pep wakes up on Tuesday morning and thinks, fuck, you know, and when Marleo's gone, look, you know, we're, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this. The the reaction from the Spurs game has been this, this, and this. You know, these guys are this, this, and this. And maybe that's, you know, maybe that has helped him. So, yeah, in terms of answering your question of how his assistants contribute to that, uh, I yeah, it's, it's absolutely massive, whether that's in terms of managing the game or kind of his emotions in between and you know Pep's obviously said when he was talking about Juan Marleo last season when, when they were on that massive winning run it was more he was kind of like his own because he does work with the kind of the Spanish speaking players um, and the Portuguese speaking players and the, uh, the bits of English but what Pep said was he's, he's mainly his assistant you yeah. know he's, he's mainly good for him kind of like a, a shrink in a way um, and obviously you know if it's good for Pep then it's good then it's good for City and it's good for yeah. the players yeah, good so yeah, that that has helped for sure. 
Yeah. Um, just quickly before we we move on to uh, the coming games, I just want to kind of, I I don't know if this is a fair question to ask because I don't really know if uh, if this is something that you would be able to put your finger on. But I just wonder if you personally had seen any change in Guardiola since he's arrived because obviously when he when he came in in 2016, there was uh, City have gone through various different styles of play under Guardiola. Um, but do you feel like his management style has changed? Management style in terms of what he does on the pitch and how he does it. I mean, yeah, because if you if you think about what he tried to do in the first season, you know, they had the aging fullbacks and then what they wanted to do that summer was bring in big, strong, athletic, fast fullbacks. Obviously, you know, what they've done with the left back over the last three years is is completely different. Um even Carl Walker, having brought him in as big and strong, he doesn't you know, he he hardly ever overlaps. You know, there are times when he does it, but He's not a big overlapping fullback, is he? Um, the false nine now. So in terms of those things, um, it's it's interesting as well because I was speaking to somebody who covered him in Germany recently. Well, in, he covered him in Germany. And he was saying Pep used to make way more changes game to game. Like it, like compared to now, it it would be like you'd never, you'd never know what was coming, but it, it could be like completely different in terms of players positioning from one game to the next. Was so it, was it the that, start of this season that he kept going unchanged as well? That was that was something new as well, wasn't it? I seem to remember um, Norwich and Arsenal, and he, he yeah, kept naming was, unchanged sides. Yeah, there, I think I think there was a bit of that re- recently. Um, you know, it was in probably the last the last six months. Um, in terms of so, in terms of the tactics, I think you could look, and I, it's one of those things. If you really zoom out and you look at how things have changed from Barca to Bayern to City, that there'd be big differences. And I mean, look, even even in terms of Sterling did an interview recently. He did a kind of a shortened version of that Premier League 100 club after he got that penalty against Wolves. Um, I don't know if, he, well, presumably there'll be a long one as well, but he kind of sat down and, and did it. And he was talking about, you know, they, they used to have two motorbikes on the wings in, in him and Sane. And he said it was a zoom, 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 loads of pace, loads of directness. Because obviously now it's a bit slower, a lot more patient, more control. So that's another huge change as well. You know, the way they got to the Champions League final last year was completely different to how they did things in, in the early days. And, you know, they had David Silva's power and his ability to control the tempo of a game. And then it was kind of Gundogan. But now it's just kind of all of them. Just the way yeah. they play, the whole thing's controlled. Um, just by keeping the ball and, and being a bit more circumspect. So that's changed. But in terms of in terms of how he has changed, well, he, it is he a difficult himself. question because it's one of those as well. You know, when you look at a picture of yourself or somebody else five years ago, you think, fuck it out. But if you see them every day, you don't notice the change. And it's, yeah. it's a bit like that. But um, in terms of his, you know, there's always been that defiance and kind of sar- sarcasm and kind of arrogance at times. You know, because you remember in, in terms of the first season when City lost at Monaco, um, and I remember the, the press conference after that was kind of like, right, get get the big, but get the big guns down here. This is this is crisis time kind of thing, and you know you spent this money and you're supposed to have done this, and you're not going to win the Champions League and you're not going to win the Premier League. What are you playing that kind of thing? And he was the old, I'm sorry, guys. You know, I've won 19 <laughs> trophies. I'm sorry. You know, so that's always been there. But I do think overall he's kind of more at peace with himself. And I may be wrong here. I may be wrong, but there's always been that kind of defiance, and that still comes back. If people ask him about the Champions League, he'll always say, look, I know, I know I'm a failure at Bayern, kind of sarcastically, um, because surely he doesn't believe that himself. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I do think he's kind of more at peace with everything. So yeah. if he needs to defend himself, he will, and he, and, he, and he can do like he always has done. But I think, like, like I said earlier about that, this hypothetical Champions League final, um, I think you know he, he's, he's just a lot more kind of it is what it is. And also, he kind of, he probably still thinks he has something to prove and people would say he's got to prove himself by winning the Champions League. But in terms of his players, I think, you know what he was saying right back at the start of that clip? With his age now, he knows they're doing a good job and he knows those players. He knows kind of their limits, I suppose. He knows what they've given. He knows what they've sacrificed. He knows how hard they've worked. And I think there must be an immense amount of satisfaction at that point. Yeah. And I suppose the beauty of it is you've got that satisfaction, but you don't rest on those laurels. 
That's an interesting thing because I remember he talked in, uh, I think it was 2018-19 when they went into the season of defending champions about mm. being harder on the players to avoid complacency and and to like like just add a little bit of distance between him and them. And I, I know you've talked about how he's he's he he didn't like being as close to the players as he was at Barcelona. Um, but then, like there yeah, there's there was, definitely that. There was the two different because he doesn't want styles. that emotional yeah. attachment if it comes to dropping them or selling them. Yeah, and then there was like when when City had done well in that obviously that Centurion season they they broken all sorts of records. He talked about not being as uh, as soft with the players the next season and, and being harder with them. And um, or I might even have that the wrong well, way around. It might be the other way I around. Think it's, no, it's the yeah. other way around. It wasn't demanding because I think it was after they won two in a row. He was a bit like, "Well, they won two in a row. I don't need to be on top of them." But then obviously. They didn't they, win the third. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't win the third. I was going to say, did they? I was thinking, did they slack off? And I remember a press conference I was at in Zagreb when Gundogan kind of said, "Look, it's inevitable. Really, you're just going to." And then you just think, and again, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, um, because last season there were so many changes. The change, you know, it wasn't a change that happened in the summer, was it? It wasn't a change where Guardiola went right. I'm going to be harder on these dicks. We're going to win yeah. the league again. It was basically the same, wasn't it, at the start of last season? And then it all changed in the middle, and it was kind of tactical, and it was kind of you know the players getting themselves together and saying, "Look, lads, you know, led by Fernandinho and this kind of thing." So, kind of in terms of Pep's management of the squad, it, it's it's difficult to know in terms of whether he went, actually, I am going to be harder on them again. But also you've got the other element of, and I know we talked about this a lot over the summer, but that element of a lot of the players didn't especially like him towards the end of last season. Um, And, you know, they were were kind of doing it more for themselves and for each other um, rather than, you know, run through brick walls for the manager kind of thing. But again, that's that's the the kind of beauty of it. Because you can talk about the man management and I think it's right to say, look, if because if you ever listen to a, an interview with the players, they're always going to say he's great and he teaches you all, that, and he does. But like they're never going to say they're never going to say, "Oh, he's a bit hard work at times." Let alone what they might actually be thinking. Yeah. So it's fair and it's interesting in terms of the dynamic of the group to point out the reality. But ultimately, I couldn't as much as I've sat here and said, "Oh, they don't all like him." It's not all a dream, you know. I, I'm I, at no point am I ever going to say. Even the man management is bad, let alone is Guardiola a good or bad manager. But even is the man management good or bad? Because you think, well, they don't necessarily like him, but Christ, they play the best football of their career and they win loads of trophies. So yes. it can't be that bad. So maybe maybe it's actually good in that kind of uh, inverse sort of uh, getting the best out of them way. So that, that, that kind of distance in terms of not wanting to be too close so we can make those cold decisions. Like he's very dist- he is distant in that sense, but also like people talk about the intensity and stuff but like, it can be like d- just weird at times you know what i mean just around around the training ground just like, like pacing around and obviously the players will just be like what the <laughs> what the hell's going on but and and like this like this this guy's odd but then does it stop him from playing well no yeah like, do, does it stop him like individually or collectively no it doesn't like it's it's very very unusual in terms of that dynamic and i remember saying this at the time that's one of the most interesting things you know i talked about the whole kind of the the football manager mindset of oh well obviously the manager goes in after the game and speaks to the players because that's what we do on football manager yeah. but in reality it's different the the mad thing about this is you know you would assume winning dressing room everyone loves the manager losing dressing room everyone hates the manager but like there's and there's no kind of gray area um it's it's just fascinating how it works but yeah, and there's you know there's the thing he said plenty of times before where he's closer to them in the low moments. So you know after a bad result or a real one of those results where they're really shell shocked, he'll be you know arm around the shoulder. You know you you guys are great. Look at all this stuff you've achieved. Like don't get yourself too down. But then obviously when they're winning and they're coming in and they're training, it's like what are you fucking like don't fucking slack off be better at this be better at that kind you know it's it's that it's that kind of thing you need you need to know exactly when to to press the buttons which is yeah that's the secret to, to any management isn't it god if i'm if whether i'm speaking to my editor or if anyone's asking me for advice i guess or i suppose raising a child now when when my son's old enough to kind of talk, take on lessons or whatever you got to realize what the appropriate re- response but yeah and the when teaching moments you know yeah 15 16 millionaires who have got at least 50 caps for their country and all expect to be playing. It's difficult, isn't it? 
Yeah. Um, I just wonder if it's um, if the change in his style, I, mean, I wonder if we'll see a lot more of it at City because obviously he's been here for six seasons now, far longer than he's been anywhere else. Um, and there's, I mean, we don't know if he'll sign an extension, but it's not out of the realms of possibility that he stays for even longer than than, than what he's uh, what he signed up to already. And I just wonder if it if it makes it the, the you know the, you know we talk about that managerial cycle as it like it always runs out of steam and you, you need the change. I just wonder if his changes de- as 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 he develops as as the years go by, if that if that is is kind of part of a way of uh, of stopping that the need to have such a big upheaval at the end of a cycle, and you can just maybe freshen it with a few new faces here and there. I don't know. Why is the mad thing? Well, he's always said, and I think it's always been the way, you either change the manager or you change the players. And I think he said, at some point, whether it's at City or not, but he's, you know, if if they stop listening to me, then I'll go. Uh, but I remember doing an interview with Dominic Torrent, and obviously, you know, they basically think the same way about football. Um, and he said, you know, you've, you've either got to go or, or, or change the players to get new ideas and kind of keep everything fresh. And that's the mad thing. The City have never really done that. They've tried. They, they've, you know, they've tried to make kind of big changes, and last summer could have been, could have been it. And I even remember at twenty nineteen, Guardiola was kind of saying, "Look, we've been here, we've been together for a few years now. Get some fresh faces in." Who did they sign in twenty nineteen? Mara, no, Mara's was twenty eighteen. Mara's was twenty nineteen. Just Rodri and Cancelo. Yeah. Like, and who's the the only big player that's left in all that time is Sane. Like it's it's not been the upheaval you would expect, where you know Pep's going, okay, you, you, and you, you've got to go. Like in the old Ferguson way, where all of a sudden you just wake up and he's selling one of their best players. Like it, it's just it's it's like for one reason or another, whether it's been the pandemic or mainly the pandemic, isn't it? Because you know Bernardo could have gone a couple of times, and you know Laporte could have gone if there was an offer last summer, and <laughs> Jesus, Gundogan, whatever, Sterling, possibly. Um, but it didn't happen and they're still together and they're still there. They're still pushing for all competitions. It's remarkable, really. And I'm tempted to say, well, look, it's going to have to come this summer, but I'm not sure if it is. But then let's say, look, like if they sign Haaland, Haaland's that good and that kind of revolutionary, you feel like... That's a big change, isn't it? Even if they didn't bring in two or three others, which they surely would, um, I feel like some could... You know, I do feel like some could leave this one, but then they could have left last year and they didn't. So let's just say they bring in Haaland and like, I don't know, Fernandinho and Gundogan leave and... And let's say, for argument's sake, that's it. Um, they'd need a midfield as well, presumably. But you'd think that would be enough impetus to to push them on. And the, you know, so much, so much cutting edge. Like they're not, they're not short of goals already, are they? But if he starts adding in extra, then you know, Nadem said to me, you know, we did that live thing the other day on the Athletic, and Nadem said to me, he goes, I th- he goes, I told you this before, I don't think he had, but he was like, he goes, I'm close with a couple of the players at Liverpool, and I think he either said one of them, or the general feeling, was that he'd been told that at Liverpool, they were like, if City sign Haaland, it's a nightmare. Like, that's that's how they feel about it, and, yeah. and that's, that's what I mean, like, there'll be that big a signing, like, I think players at City will be like, right, fucking hell, okay, this is how we're going, even though he's only 21, but his, his reputation's that big. And he's, you know, he's a superstar. He might, you know, he might be, I don't want to say the first, but a superstar with his career ahead of him coming to the Premier League, it doesn't happen that often. Yeah. It really yeah. doesn't. Um, so that, you know, that might arguably be enough. It's remarkable, really, that they've managed to have what they've had, what you, which would you, have, you would have to call success over the last five or six years without making massive changes. I know people could listen to this and go, oh, money this, money that. Fine, but, you know, money this, money that at other places and it hasn't worked. Yeah, or it has it has worked, but you don't re- you don't refresh it. Like for all the good Chelsea have been, they've never been able to stay on top for a period. You know, they've never been able to go three, two, three, four years all around at the top. You know, they'll have a kind. They might win. Have they ever won two out of three I, titles I, since Mourinho? I don't think they've. I, I don't. They've not won it back to back since Mourinho. It's probably have like they? two out of four, possibly. Yeah, not back to back, and then. But there's always kind of like a disaster before somebody comes in and fixes it. Whereas what City have had under one manager with roughly the same group of players, just add in, you know, like Rodri, Cancelo, Mahrez, you know, good, Diaz, good, sensible buys without loads of people going and it being a massive turnover. And all of a sudden the squad, the squad is looks slightly different, but without it being a big overhaul, it's been, it's been very, you know, it's, it's very impressive how they've done it. I think. 
Um, I'm going to finish this week, Sam, with a quick eye ahead to, to Burnley because, um, I mean, with, with everything that we've talked about in mind, um, I, I'm interested if, if Guardiola is a different person with these players these days. Can, can we compare this to that Burnley game in 2018-19? Because that's, that everybody seems to be doing that at the moment, kind of looking at how that game is likely to be, uh, how the game coming up is likely to be like the one that was at Turf Moor when Aguero scored with you know millimetres over the line and we were defending for our lives towards the end. And I just, I, I just think with everything we've talked about over the last fifty minutes or so, it, like, it just seems to me like Guardiola's approach might even be different to this game. I, know, I mean, Burnley's approach will also be different as well. They're they're uh, they're not in the same form as they were then. They've two wins in in twenty twenty two overall, two wins in the last eighteen overall. So it's uh, it is a it is a different there is a different dynamic going into it. But I wonder if if Guardiola's change is uh, is a bigger dynamic in this. I don't know. I think it's a bit like what I was saying about. Um... The game's coming up and Atletico Madrid, you know, ideal scenario would obviously be racing to a three-goal lead in the first leg and then you're laughing then, you can rest players, but it won't, you know, I don't think you'll want to risk that. It'll be do everything at the right speed at the right time and cautious maybe. Like at Palace, I think part of the reason he didn't make subs was because he didn't want to lose the game. Rather than gamble to win it, he didn't want to kind of risk losing, which I get. And that's the time of year. We talked after the Everton game. Maybe that's the stage they're at now where these games are going to be close. And I definitely think after the international break, we get into April. Um, and also we get into managing minutes territory. You know, Some players, I guess, won't start that game that people would want to start, a bit like at Southampton. Um, there might have to be a way they manage the intensity, maybe. But I think how the game went in 2019, it was, look, we're going to turn up. We're going to do things as they need to be done. We're not going to rush. We're not going to force the issue. And we're just going to trust that we're going to create the chances, and we're going to trust that the goal is going to come. And I don't think it—I I don't think it could be any different now. I actually think, given how they've changed since then, because if you think that was 2019, all of a sudden that was three years ago, and now we're talking about this second, possibly third, great Guardiola City side in terms of the more control and how they got to the Champions League final. It's even more that, isn't it? It's more circumspect, and it's more just don't. Do anything Trust, to concede yeah. a goal, Trust the and we'll make sure we score. So, I, look, I mean, it might be different to the 2019 game in the sense that City might score after 15 minutes and the game opens up, or it might, or you know, if it, if they don't, then it, I, I can see it being the same thing, and it, you know, it will be the same approach. It will be the same approach anyway. How the game goes will be different. Like yeah. the, you know, the the game against Southampton at the weekend went pretty much the same as the games in the in the Premier League, but the final score was 4-1 because that's that's how football happens. You know, maybe City win 3-0 at Burnley and you go, okay, it was different. But I think I I would guess City's approach will be the same and it will just be keep the ball, quieten them down, create chances score, and take them when they come. Yeah. Did, uh, did Is everything that we've just talked about about Guardiola, is that uh, one of the reasons why he's perhaps quite calm going into these games while we as fans are all quite uh, anxious? Oh, no. I mean... I don't know if he's calm. I don't know. If, I don't know if you would say he's calm, because you know, talking about how he's kind of more come to terms with things and and all, all that kind of thing, I, I think it's relative. You know, I think that's when we're talking. Other, than, let's say it's it's a time when he's had to calm down. It's a day after or a few days after or whatever. I think that's yeah. then. You know, it's, it's Tuesday morning when the game was on Sunday. Still, sort of thing. still really, yeah. Like I said earlier about that press conference. You know, before the Peterborough game, you wouldn't have been that worried. I know they just lost the Spurs, but before the Peterborough game, you wouldn't be oh, what about this? What about that? Whereas before the United game, even though obviously, we've seen this before, how many times have we thought, well, United is shit, they should just beat them. And Pep's like talking as if they're, you know, prime Ferguson United still. Because before those big games and before, you know, any kind of big game and obviously Burnley away qualifies just as much as Atletico and Liverpool, it'll still be kind of nervous about everything that can happen. But within, you know, relatively, he, he can probably deal with it better now than he did when he was a Barca, but I mean, in terms of those nerves and tetchiness and the kind of weirdness I've mentioned, you know, I think it's still, it's still all there because he's still him at the end of the day, you know, he's yeah. not, he's not changed massively, but he's just kind of dealing with things a bit better, whether that's good or bad. So, you know, like I said, if, if they win the Champions League, but they don't play particularly well, I don't think he'll be getting carried away. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see how it goes then uh, at Turf Moor because uh, the, the we are all now counting down the days till uh, till this mad run uh, kind of hits us. So uh, I think yeah. we'll uh, yeah we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Why It Always Us. Thanks as ever to Sam Lee. Thanks very much. Don't forget you can sign up to the Athletic right now for one pound a month for six months. Just use the code Man City Pod. 
The Athletic.